growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. They bit the fruit and they broke the perfect relationship that they had with God. And Satan, ever since that time, has been using deception, making people believe that what is true is false and what is false is true. Have you ever been conned? Over the last several years, it seems there have been several Wall Street horror stories of men who stole hundreds of millions, in some cases billions of dollars, from investors. The con was set up to make people believe one thing when the truth was something entirely different. You may or may not have lost anything because of those deceptions, but there is another kind of deception in the world that is attempting to steal everything from people's lives. People still make individual decisions. They still make individual choices about what they believe, what they don't believe. But we have an obligation to expose those deceptive cons for what they are. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, we launch a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled The Deceptive Cons. It's a series where we're going to spend several weeks looking at the deceptions that are designed to con people out of what God has for them. There's a lot of misinformation out there today, and much of it is intended to deceive men and women and to keep them from discovering who they were created to be. We're going to look at several deceptive cons that ultimately Satan has perpetrated, certainly in the culture in which we live today. We're kicking off this series today with a look at a deception that a lot of people are falling for, and that is the belief that there really isn't any evidence that God even exists. Today and next week, Pastor Clay is going to expose that lie and show us that the evidence for God is really overwhelming. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. In the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, verse 25, we find these words. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Let that sink in for just a moment before we read the rest of it. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Now, before I read the rest of that, you may be here and you may say, that's right. That's right. That stinking sorry world. <laughs> that's what they did. Or you may be here and you're saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not. My question is, what if it is true? What if this is true? When Paul, sa- or when Paul says, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that they, meaning people without a relationship with God, people outside the realm of, of, uh, of a relationship with God, What if he's right when he says they traded the truth about God for a lie? So they worshiped and served the things created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and Satan coming into their presence and convincing them that they were better off rebelling against God's word than hearing God's word. They were better off disobeying God's word than yielding to God's word. Maybe you're familiar with the story, but in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Indeed, has God said, now, now watch, watch the strategy here as Satan speaks. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And of course, God had not said that, but notice, notice the distortion. Notice the deception. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Notice how she kind of corrects him. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it. Eve seems to add that, by the way. God didn't seem to say that in the text. I'm not saying that women will exaggerate, but I just, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I'm sorry. This is serious. No, I'm sorry. Why do I let myself say those things? You sh- uh, watch this. Um, G- God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows, what's the, what's the reason behind it? For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil the difference in how to weigh those. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree, watch this, was desirable to make one wise. Oh, if I eat this, I'm going to be like God. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And so it began. They believed the lie They bit the fruit and they broke the perfect relationship that they had with God in that moment. And Satan, ever since that time, Satan has been using this most effective, I believe what is his most effective tool, deception. Deception. Making people believe that what is true is false and what is false is is true. Deception. I am of the belief that Satan is the master con artist. It is his very nature to deceive. Maybe you've read this text in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders who he didn't hold in very high esteem uh, because he compares them basically to the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. It is the most effective tool that he has used. The art of deception. Deceiving people into believing one thing when something else is true, to con them into chasing after whatever else would take them away from God. If it is true, and and you may be here and you're not sure, but if it is true that Satan is a real spiritual being, a real spiritual entity, and if it is true that his, uh, his intent, his purpose is the same as it was way back then in the garden, namely to lead men and women away from a relationship with God, if that is his intent, then, the, then I 
propose that those of us who, who understand this and have a belief in the true God, who have placed our faith in the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ, that we have an obligation to expose those deceptive cons. And people still make individual decisions. They still make individual choices about what they believe, what they don't believe, but that we have an obligation to expose those deceptive cons for what they are so that people have the opportunity to know the truth. Now, if you're here this morning, well, let me just say, let me, let me get to it. We're, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at several deceptive cons that ultimately Satan has perpetrated on the world, or certainly in the culture in which we live today. They are, they are prominent, they are accepted, and, uh, and they need to be, in my opinion, exposed. We're going to look at several of those because we have that obligation. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 2. He said, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So we have this obligation to try and, and expose what God says are deceptions and reveal truth to people. Now, if you happen to be here, I start to say this moment, if you happen to be here and you're thinking, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really need any of this stuff. Stay with me. Let's start with the first deception. It, it seemed like, to me, it seemed like when I put this together, the logical place to start. The, the deceptive con that is in the world today. This is one we're starting with today. There really, there's really no evidence that God even exists. There's really no evidence that God even exists. That is the, uh, the anthem of the atheist. You know, there's really no evidence that God even exists. Now, that's interesting because the Bible says exactly the opposite. In Romans chapter 1, that passage we looked at a moment ago, a little uh, earlier up in the chapter, look what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Now watch what Paul says. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, this should sound something like Psalm 19 that John read earlier in our worship service. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. No insult intended. The Bible just speaks truth. It sounds a lot like what King David said in uh, Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. He repeats it twice. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, they can't both be right. I think everybody would agree with that. No matter where you are spiritually, no matter where you are in this whole God thing, or whether God is real, exists, or doesn't exist, whether there's evidence or not exists, I think everybody would agree they can't, be both, they can't both be right. The atheist says there is no evidence that God exists. The Bible says there's so much evidence that God exists that, that nobody has an excuse for not believing in it. They, they can't both be right, can they? Those two positions are diametrically opposed. You with me? 
You understand what I'm saying? They're diametrically opposed. They can't both be right. One is right and one is wrong. Either, either God exists or either God does not exist. Now, if you are here and you're thinking, I, I, I really, I don't need this. I, I don't have a problem believing in the existence of God. Uh, there's too much stuff that goes on in the world that can't be explained. Uh, he's worked in my life, whatever. I, I don't have a problem believing in God. This is, not, I don't, this is not really profitable for me. Let me answer you with a quote from a man named Peter Kreft in an article uh, that he wrote uh, entitled uh, 20 Reasons to Believe that God Exists or uh, something like that is the name of the title of the article. It goes like this. Kreft says, you may not feel that they are particularly valuable to you, e- evidences or arguments for the existence of God. You may, not, you may sit in there and say, I don't, I don't need to hear that. You may not feel that they are particularly valuable to you. You may be blessed with a vivid sense of God's presence. And that is something for which to be profoundly grateful. Can I say that to you this morning before I read the rest of that? That if you're here and, and the idea of God and his presence and, and the opportunity to know him, if you've never struggled with that and you don't have a problem with that, please know how incredibly blessed you are. But that does not mean that you have no obligation to ponder these arguments. For many, many have not been blessed in that way. And the proofs are designed for them, or some of them at least, to give a kind of help they really need. You may even be asked to provide help. And in fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you are here and you are a believer in the, in the true God, a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are commanded to be ready to give help. Did you know that? First Peter Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, latter part of verse 15, Peter says, always be ready to answer everyone, everyone, the skeptic, the the seeker, the the educated, the the not as high education, the rich, the poor, the young, the old, always be ready to give everyone an answer, everyone who asks you to explain about the hope that you have. That word, uh, answer there in First Peter uh, 3.15. That word answer uh, in, in the, the New Testament originally was written in, in Greek. Many of you may know that. Uh, in the original, the Greek word originally was, was apologian. The word means defense. It literally means defense. So if you were to substitute that into the verse, the verse is literally saying, hey, hey, Clay, hey, fill in your name. You need to be ready to defend what you believe. Why do you believe what you believe? Now, it breaks my heart to say this, but sadly, many followers of Jesus have completely ignored that clear command in 1 Peter 3. Completely ignored it. Be ready to defend what you believe. Be ready to tell somebody why you believe what you believe. Too many people, too many followers of Jesus have completely ignored that clear-cut command. And when asked... Why do you believe that God exists? Why do you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? Uh, How come you believe that the Bible is true? That's some old book. How do you you really believe that's true? Sadly, way too many followers of Jesus respond with something like, well, I don't know. I just believe it. I'm sorry, but that's not the answer God was looking for when he said through the apostle Peter, be ready to give everybody an answer. You have to defend what you believe. Now, having said that, 
You know this is true, but having said that, there are people, ladies and gentlemen, who could care less what you believe. There are people who have no interest in hearing what you believe, and it doesn't matter what you say to them, they will never believe. They're not interested in believing. Do you understand? You've met people like that. I've met people like that. I've encounters with people like that. They're simply not interested in hearing what you have to say because they don't want to believe. Here's what it is. I've said it many times. For many people, it's not really a head problem. It's a heart problem. That's really where it begins. It's not about the evidence or lack of evidence. It's not about does God exist. It's that I, I don't I don't want him to, I don't want to bend my knee. I don't want to think that there's some authority over me in my life. And can I say this to you? And maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where I am. I just don't, I came here today because somebody said their pastor was going to be mad at them if they didn't invite somebody. So I, but, but, I, but that's where I am. I don't really care about, I don't, I don't want to believe. If you're here, first, thanks. Thanks for coming. But if, if that's where you are and you're saying, you know what, it's just, I, I just don't, until you acknowledge, until a person, and, and you've got somebody in your life that that's where they are, until they acknowledge that truth, that, that, that there's, some, there's something that's in my heart, it starts in my heart. Until they acknowledge that truth, their heart will not allow their mind to accept any other truth. You understand what I'm saying to you? It won't matter what you say. It doesn't matter. It, it, their, their heart will not allow their mind. To believe any other truth until, you're, until the Spirit of God can break through to that truth in their life. You know what? This, this begins with me. This begins with where I am in my heart. So there will be people that aren't interested in hearing what you have to say. Whether you could prove God exists or not, they don't care. Having said that, however, there are people. Praise God, there are people that are interested in hearing what you have to say. There are people that are interested in hearing what God has done in your life. There are people who are hurting and would like to think that there's some healing possible. There are some people who have gone without hope or joy in their life for so long that they are desperate to think that there could possibly be some hope out there somewhere, that they could possibly have joy in their life again. There are people whose marriages are, are, are in trouble and, and, they, and they want to know that there's a chance that it can be saved. There's people who have somehow have this innate sense, and Romans 1 tells us that God put it there, they have this innate sense that there's something not right in their life and that somehow, somehow they are missing out on real life. And in fact, ladies and gentlemen, they are. They are missing out on everything that God intended it to be, what he desired for them to have in their life. Because men and women have been deceived I, I've, I've fallen for this deception before. This, this con that says, oh, you can be happy? You don't need some, some belief in God to be happy? You can, you can climb the corporate ladder. You can add more, more uh, digits to your salary. You can, you can go into another relationship. You can get a nicer car, bigger house. You, you, can, you can take a better vacation, that you can do something. There's, there, I'm telling you, there are millions of people who have been deceived into believing that, that what they're looking for, they can find there. Years ago, this is a good many years ago when I was in college, a gentleman came to speak at a, a chapel service that we had college. He was Russian. He had been a high-ranking official in the Communist Party before the fall of, uh, of communism in, in uh, Russia. 
This guy was brilliant. I, I can't remember sure. He either had four or five earned PhDs. This guy was truly brilliant, very high ranking. And, and somehow, uh, I believe it was after the fall of communism, uh, this man came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He came to not only believe in God, but to believe that, that God had provided sacrifice for his sins and that he could have a relationship with the living God. And this guy came into his relationship with God. And he was speaking in our chapel one day. And he, he spoke with this very heavy Eastern European accent, but spoke very good English. And he began to describe to us the, the rampant alcoholism that is present in Russia today. I, I'm assuming still today. This was back in the early 90s when, when he was said. But rampant alcoholism uh, in Russia today. And he said part of that is, has always been there. It's just kind of under the surface. But with the fall of communism, uh, that, that was, was basically the people's God, that, that, that the government will provide for you, the government will do everything for you, the government will, uh, you know, will keep you at work, you know, all this kind of stuff. When that collapsed, there, there left this vacuum, as he explained it, this, this emptiness in people's lives. And, and many people, because uh, uh, alcohol uh, is, is readily available, they turn to that. And he, just, he said alcoholism is just out of control in Russia. And then he said something that just struck me the moment he said it, and I've never forgotten it. In this Eastern European accent, he said, everyone have in them the God spot. And he pointed at his heart. And, you know, I, I get, theologically, intellectually, I knew that was true. But the way he put that, the way he said it in that moment, it just, it just hit me. It's just like, and I thought, he's right. He's right. There's this God spot in every single person. That's really what Romans 1 is saying. I think he's right, but people have been deceived into thinking, I can find it somewhere else. I can be happy somewhere else. I, I can self-medicate or I can, I can go on to somebody else or I can, you know, whatever. And, and that's not all of the deception. Connected to that deception is this, is this con that faith is uh, something religious people have. You ever heard something like that? Faith is something religious people do. Oh, oh, you're a person of faith. <laughs> As if that's a four-letter word or something, you know. There, there is that, that deception that says there's really, there's no evidence that God exists. There's, you, you can't test God in a laboratory. So there's no empirical evidence of him. And, and so it's really not rational to, to even believe that, that God exists at all. Millions of people have been deceived with that belief. That there's really no evidence that, that God even exists. It's just not rational to think that God exists. Why would you even, why would you even start down there? That's, that's faith. As if faith were something that is something that uneducated people or unenlightened people or, or ignorant people or superstitious people or old-fashioned people. Oh, they're people of faith. When in fact... Faith is something that you and I operate with every day. Do you know that? Every single one of you are, are people of faith, are men and women of faith. Let me give you an example. Uh, more than likely, the vast majority of you, I'd say, arrived here today by means of a vehicle, uh, a combustion engine vehicle, a car, a truck, a motorcycle, some way in which you arrived here. Most of you, probably. You drove yourself, you rode with somebody, but you arrived here that way. Almost everyone, if not everyone, got here that way. I would also venture to say that virtually 100% of you did not go out this morning 
and check your battery connection, terminal connections, before you got in and turned the ignition with the key. You got in, you turned the ignition, and, and the engine started. You did not, I, I'm, I, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, you did not get under the car and check its transmission to make sure that it was going to shift properly. You did not pull the wheels off and look at the brakes to make sure that, that they were going to operate the way they do. Now, you may, not, you may know nothing about the combustion engine. I know very little. You may know nothing about the combustion engine. You may not know how braking systems or electrical systems or any of those kind of systems work in your automobile. But, watch this, but by observation, you have come to the belief that the people that designed that car and built that car and maintain and repair that car, that they do know about those things. And so by faith, you choose to get in that automobile and drive it down here this morning. You have just operated in the realm of faith, whether you realized it or not. Now, listen, we could, we could go through hundreds of examples of the way that we really use faith uh, day in and day out in our lives. My point is this. My point is faith is not just some religious thing. Faith is not just something for the uneducated or the unenlightened or the, or the ignorant or the old-fashioned. Uh, faith is, is actually a tool in which all of us use in our lives all of the time. And so my challenge for you today is if you're here and you're uncertain about this whole God thing, that you would at least stop for a moment and say, okay, all right, maybe I never thought of it that way, but okay, yes, in a sense, I, I guess I do operate uh, in the realm of faith because I do, I do use the tool of faith for, uh, you know, do I know that that person in McDonald's, uh, you know, the, uh, so, 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 okay, I do kind of operate. I can, I can see where, he, where he's going with this. So maybe the question I should be asking myself is, am I open? Am I at least open to the idea that, that I could operate by faith in the spiritual realm of my life, specifically or particularly in regards to the existence of God? Can I, could I, if, I, if faith is there and if faith is real and if I actually do use faith, am I open to the idea of faith being a part of my spiritual life? That's the question. Now, if we're going to look at evidence for the existence of God, I felt like that it was important to define evidence. And I know this is a long, drawn-out process. We're setting this, this, uh, this up, ladies and gentlemen, these arguments, so it's going to take a while to do this. But I felt like that it was necessary. Well, we should, we should give a definition of evidence, right? Because there are some people that would say, if it cannot be tested in a tube, if it cannot be verified in a laboratory, then it is not evidence at all. If it's not empirical, if I can't see it or taste it or touch it or smell it, then it's really not evidence at all. There are certainly people who would say that. I made a statement a few years ago at an evolution versus creation debate that I attended on the campus of the University of North Carolina. There was a Q&A time and the floor opened up and I have no idea how I got into it, but somehow I... I made this statement. I've never made the statement before, um, but the longer I have walked with God, the more I have come to know God, the more convinced I am that this statement is true. The statement is this. God has no desire to prove himself. God has every desire to reveal himself. Do you understand the difference between those two? I mean, let's face it. And I've had people say this to me before. Proving yourself really shouldn't be a hard thing for an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God. 
Boom, I'm here. Deal with it. But ladies and gentlemen, that has never been God's intent. That has never been God's desire. God's not trying to prove himself. God is trying to reveal himself, desiring to reveal himself to individual men and women who are open to the idea that not only is he, but that he desires a relationship with you. So he's not trying to prove himself. So please understand that as we walk through evidences and, and arguments and that kind of stuff, uh, I, I, if God's not going to try, I'm not going to try. It's no problem for God to prove himself. I had a guy on a tennis court one time. Did I ever tell you all that? I had a guy on a tennis court. I was playing tennis. We were in between sets, and I was, I was smoking him. I was kicking his behind. And uh, I, don't know. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I really don't. But anyway, we were taking a break in between sets, and, uh, and I began to talk to him about, about Christ, about a relationship with the Lord, about God, and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, ah, no, I don't know. Uh, uh, if God is real, and there was, a ten- there was a tennis ball laying on the court right there beside the the uh, bench where we're saying, if God is real, he can just make that uh, ball jump up onto the, the bench, and then I'll believe that he's true. Do you know what you have just reduced God to? Oh, okay, Lassie, sit, sit. Good, Lassie, good. I'm telling you, God's not in that business, folks. So it, it's not about proof. It's about revelation. It's about him saying to you, look, at, look, look. Because listen, remember, remember Romans 1? What did Paul say? They're plainly seen. So you don't have an excuse. All right, let's get to the definition. What time? All right. Let's get to the definition. Okay, and I, I just, this was the first one I came to. Uh, law.com uh, said a good working definition of evidence was this. Evidence is every type of proof legally presented at trial, which is intended to convince the judge and or jury of alleged facts material to the case. Right? Everybody's watched something, Right? Perry Mason or, you know, The Firm. I don't know, something. Everybody's watched something, right? Every type of proof legally presented at trial which is intended to convince the judge and or jury of alleged facts material to the case. Now, the, the, the evidence can be material evidence. The evidence can be scientific evidence. Uh, the evidence can be um, uh, eyewitness testimony. The evidence can be circumstantial evidence. Really, the list of evidence is, is too numerous to list here. But the bottom line is this. Well, no matter what kind of proof it is, according to pathos.com, uh, the bottom line is this. It is proof that is intended to convince another person of the truth of the matter asserted. That's where we are this morning, ladies and gentlemen. If you're here or if you know somebody that says, I don't even know that God exists, this is the point. It's not about proving God to you. It's about getting you to the place where you can look at the evidence. It's not a blind faith. It's not a check your brains at the door faith. But it is a faith that you operate, you use faith anyway, that is intended to show you that there is evidence, as Paul says in Romans 1, that is undeniable. And then if you would open yourself to that evidence, God will reveal himself you. I have found that to be true in my life. Okay, let us look at some of the evidence. We're going to, we're, we're, there's several arguments I'm going to bring over the next couple of weeks. Today, we're just going to look at two. The first one is what's known as the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument. It's also sometimes referred to as the first cause argument. Now, I've got some bullet points and all that stuff I can bring up, but I have a video that I want you to see uh, from uh, William Lane Craig, who is one of the world's leading uh, apologetics uh, persons today in the world who defends the faith. Uh, I, he does a better job than I do anyway, and it's shorter probably. So watch this video as, as the cosmological argument is laid out. Stay with it. Listen to what they say. Listen to what, what the premises are and what the conclusion is. Remember, we're not proving that God exists. 
We're, we're giving opportunity for God to reveal himself. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic, you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? Or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused and unimaginably powerful. Much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. 
So that's the cosmological argument. The universe had a beginning, so the universe was caused. Because nothing can, can be self-caused, nothing can come out of nothing that was created. And if it, had a, if it had a starting point, if it had a creation, if it had a cause, what was that cause? John read about it this morning in Psalm 19. Does this prove that God exists? It's a piece of evidence that points to the, to the rational belief that, as the video said, some, something or someone powerful, eternal, limitless, had to create this. By the way, uh, the primary argument, as I understand it, by atheists against this, uh, this argument is that, well, if everything has to have a cause, who caused God? What caused God? When someone uses that, they are misquoting the argument. The argument is that nothing that came into existence came into existence without a cause. And the Bible clearly teaches that God is eternal, that God has no cause, that he, is, that he has always been. Now, I know that's, that's hard to get our minds around, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches, ladies and gentlemen. And if you think about it, it's quite rational to believe that God must be eternal. By definition, God has to be eternal, because if he is all-powerful, if, if, if something created God, then that means there would be something more powerful than God. So he's not God. And, and, and if God is, is, is all knowledgeable, but something created him, that would mean God didn't have any all knowledge because there was something before. You understand where this is leading to? By definition, God has to be eternal. And therefore, he has to be the first cause of all that we see in our universe. I'm going to stop here uh, because I don't, I don't want to rush through the next argument because it's really, really important. Um, and we'll, we'll get to it next week. I want to encourage, if you don't have a church home, come back here. We meet here every week. We do this every week. We'd love to have you. But I want to say this. I want you to understand this, and I'll probably say this again next week at, at the conclusion of, uh, of the message. Please do not think that our intent today is to simply get you to believe in God. I, I'm not trying to masquerade. I'm not trying to hide anything. The intent, this intent is not to get you just to believe in God. It's a step. It's an important step. It's the first step. But can I, can I just give you... A passage of scripture from James chapter 2. Maybe some of you have read this passage before. James chapter 2 verse 19 says this. You believe there's one God. Good. (laughs) I can hear James. Good. But the demons believe that too. And they tremble with fear. Ladies and gentlemen, belief in God is a step. It's an important step. You have to be, you have to take step one before you can say. But I want you to understand that the ultimate desire of God's heart, of our heart, ultimate destiny where we're going with this, to help you understand that God just doesn't want you to believe that He exists. Quite honestly, He doesn't. He just does. He exists. But God's intent is that you would have a relationship with Him. And that's more than just knowing that He exists. Well, that's probably plenty to chew on for one day. Remember, as Pastor Clay said in his message today, taking all of these arguments and evidences together, we can expose the deception that says there is no evidence for the existence of God. A person may still choose to reject the evidence and not believe in God, but that's a very different thing than saying there is no evidence. As the Apostle Paul told us in Romans chapter 1, the evidence is really all around us, plainly seen. And because of that, no person has an excuse for not believing in God. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. 
At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.